<clears throat> Romans chapter 12, and as I said this morning, um, I just want to talk about the church as a community of worshipers, and <clears throat> it may sound simplistic, a lot of times we oversimplify, well, biblical truths are are very simple. A lot of times we have a way of overcomplicating it or not thinking about it enough. Uh, we, we make things sometimes way more complicated than they need to be or we just don't really even give it any sort of thought. Uh, <clears throat> we like to, when we go to the Dominican Republic, we like to encourage people to uh, write out their testimony so that they have the opportunity, if the opportunity arises for them to do that, that they would be able to share their testimony. And I'm sure that all believers have some sort of testimony. That What uh, often arises, though, is a lot of times people don't ever stop and actually think through it. Nobody ever, uh, a lot of times people don't sit through it in a systematic way, kind of write it out or think through it in a way that they could actually explain it to somebody. It's not necessarily that they don't have something they could tell somebody. It's just that sometimes we need to stop and think through what has God actually done in my life and, and how has He worked from this point to here and how has He moved me uh, over the years? If we look back, a lot of times we can see how God has orchestrated things. It's just that we have to give things thought. And I think it's the same way sometimes in biblical concepts that, again, we either overcomplicate it or we never sit down and think, okay, God tells us through His Word that we should worship Him in spirit and truth. What does it mean in my life to worship God? Now, as we go through this tonight, <clears throat> you would think, uh, being a worship leader, that I could tell you uh, very uh, specific details, and I can tell you what the Bible says about that for us as believers, but there is a personal aspect to it, uh, and this is what I mean about sometimes us not, you know, personally not stopping and thinking through what it means for me personally to be a worshiper. Now, there are biblical per principles that we abide by as worshipers, uh, but um, I can't tell you for sure what it means in your life, uh, aside from you living according to the principles of the Bible, I can't tell you when you are an, in your alone time praying with God what it means for you personally to step into the presence of Almighty God, the God that has created all things. I don't know that that's always something we can define. Now, again, I want you to understand when I say that, there are biblical principles that we abide by in understanding worship. I'm just saying we can't ever uh, uh, relegate worship to a, a matter of principle alone, and if I abide by these things, then I'm a worshiper. Now, we have to abide by the principles, but there has to be some living relationship where I am awestruck when I stand in the presence of God. And I think that takes on a different kind of face for each different person. I think it was, uh, um, I'm blanking on the pastor's name. He wrote a book called The, the Church Awakening. But he wrote that uh, uh, there's a difference between the essence uh, and the expression of worship. The essence of worship is always the same. The biblical principles that outline the essence of worship uh, is always the same, but the expression may be slightly different. I'm I'm a person, for instance, uh, 
Again, I lead worship. I sing every Sunday. That's what I do is lead people in singing, uh, worship through singing. Uh, But when I go to uh, different worship services where I don't have to be involved or when I go to like a Christian concert or a conference or something, I don't sing at all. Because for some reason uh, in my life, God speaks to me so much as I hear people singing and as I hear the voices lifted up and God is revealing to me, talking to me, revealing things from His Word to me and what it means to be a part of a worshiping community. Now somebody else might be the person who has their hands lifted up and they're yelling with everything within them in that moment. So what I'm saying is that expression might be slightly different from person to person but the essence of worship is the same, and we can. The essence of worship is always the same based on biblical principles, and we will talk about those some of those things here tonight. So Romans chapter twelve, uh, starting in verse one, um, <clears throat> it says, "Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual spiritual act of worship." And then it goes on, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, as good, pleasing, and perfect will. So <clears throat> it is very simple, uh, the beginning of this. I just want to look at uh, three points here uh, in understanding what it means to be a worshiping community. The, first of all, the true, the true worshiper finds his motivation in what he has received. Uh, Paul's appeal to the believers in verse 1, the beginning of that, is uh, in light of mercy. He says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. We talked about it briefly this morning, or a little bit this morning, but uh, understanding that uh, our motivation, everything that we do in worship is motivated by the mercy of God. We understand that God, by his mercy alone, has looked on us in all of our hopelessness and provided the payment to reconcile the debt that we could never repay is by God's mercy alone that we've been brought to a place of reconciliation and peace with Him. Uh, so, <clears throat> as we try to understand what it means to be a worshiper, uh, well, let me let me first define, I guess, what what worship means. The the main word that is used for worship in the New Testament is proskunio, and it basically means to prostrate yourself, figuratively or literally. So when we're talking about literally, we understand what prostrate yourself means. It would be like bowing before a king. Uh, and figuratively, we would be talking about uh, our spirit coming before Christ and prostrating ourselves before him in humility, honoring him as king. So that would mean, to me, everything that we do, every situation we encounter uh, is an opportunity to prostrate ourselves before him. I talked about this morning, uh, you know, there are times... Uh, who here has never had somebody say something offensive to them? Anybody? Right? It happens to all of us. Who here has never said something offensive to somebody else? Somebody's going to raise their hand, right? It happens to all of us. And it's not just that, but anything that you could think of when somebody says something to you, we have the opportunity to respond in worship. And as I said this morning, our, our response uh, as an act of worship to the king is is our response in that moment is directed to God. We we can have motivation to forgive and allow things to to be let go because my motivation is my King, right? So uh, 
my point is that everything that we encounter on a daily basis is an opportunity to worship God. Worshiping God doesn't happen when we're just singing songs uh, or hearing a message or uh, in a, uh, a, a class on Sunday morning or something like that. That is not, uh, that is not what worship is in itself. Uh, the essence of worship is me getting up every, every day and prostrating my soul before Christ and allowing Him to be my King. Uh, so the true worshiper finds motivation in what he has received, the mercy of God. And understanding uh, that uh, I, I think sometimes as the church we don't grasp the mercy that is available to us. Uh, I've looked into, over the last couple of years, a lot of times, uh, different world religions. <clears throat> and... Uh, um, I don't think sometimes we realize what is out there in the world. You realize how different the message of Christ is. That it is so polar opposite of everything else that you will find in the world. Now you will find, uh, I don't know that they would define themselves as religions, but New Age movements that are paganism, pagan religions, but New Age movements that would... uh, uh, tell you that you have to, to eliminate certain trains of thought and, and uh, eliminate desires. And once you attain certain amounts of thought, then you become one with all of the things around you and all of those kind of things. So you work to think the right way and to not think about certain things. Then you become one with whatever it is you're trying to become one with. There's no way to fully define it. I've looked into it. New Age stuff is not everybody believes something different. But that's the essence of it, is you work to get a certain place. And you see that in other world religions. I, I have on my, my phone, I don't know if uh, I've looked at it yet today in this building, but I've looked at it in other places. But uh, I'm probably the only person in this room that has a Muslim assistant app. I have that for a specific reason. Because when I was looking into all of these things... Uh, <clears throat> I was uh, trying to understand, you know, what it's like for these other religions. And so I downloaded this app. I just happened to come across it. And it has a thing on this app where you can record yourself saying these specific prayers. So you can keep track of how many times you have said these prayers. And it has another thing, you know, where you're supposed to pray a certain amount of times uh, during the day. And you get on your knees and you point point your body towards Mecca to be able to pray. It just so happens conveniently that they have a GPS that can point you directly towards Mecca, which is that direction. So if we were, if we were in that religion, uh, we would at the certain prescribed times of the day get it down on our knees, face that direction, and we would pray. My point is in that everything else, you will not find anywhere else in the world a religion uh, or a faith where the mercy of God left His place to dwell among sinful men and freely offer Him the opportunity to step into His presence. You will not find that anywhere else. It does not exist anywhere else. Everything else is you being good enough. It is you working hard enough. 
Now, I'm not telling you that after, after you gain salvation, then Christ dwells in you, and then you, you begin to work because you love Him, because His, His character, His Spirit is transforming you, and you begin to reflect Him, and as you reflect Him, you naturally have His desires, and you see the world around you from His eyes, and that leads you to working for Him. But your work for Him can never gain you God's presence. Your work alone, you cannot work hard enough to repay the debt that we owed. We understand that it was a legal debt because God is just. We had a legal debt that it was death. There was nothing else. I was legally sentenced to death. And I had no hope of paying that back. There was nothing. But my Savior stepped out of His place in heaven, as we talked about this morning, was spit on and beaten. So for some reason that we could gather together here as His church, as His people, to be washed by His blood freely, not by anything we have done. And then for some reason He would desire to carry out His purposes through us in this world. That is an amazing thing. And as worshipers of God, we should absolutely be motivated by that mercy that we have received. There is not anything, as I said this morning, there's nothing that we can say that's going to convince anybody in this world that's faced terrible things to want to be with Christ. What they want to see is somebody who is motivated by something different in the world. They don't want to see a religious person that's working to try to gain something. They want to see somebody who experiences something that transcends this world. And the only thing that does is the power of Christ at work in us, the mercy that comes from God that uh, allows us to be in His presence. There is nothing else that transcends this world other than that because everything in the world, not even just religious things, but think about the secular world. It's all about working hard enough so that you can gain this position so that you can have money to buy this and this. Right? Everything in the world is about working hard enough to be good enough for the people around you. The only thing that transcends all that we see around us, the other, the other religions of the world, what, uh, what people around us tell us that we need, the only thing that transcends that is the free mercy and grace of Christ that brings us into His presence. So as His church, it is vital that we understand that our motivation in everything that we do is that mercy. There's nothing else. That is my motivation. It's not because I'm trying to be good enough for you all and you shouldn't do it because you're trying to be good enough for me or anybody else. It's because you're motivated by what you have received from our God. So the first thing is the true, true worshiper finds his motivation in what he has received. <clears throat> and the true worshiper presents the fullness of himself to God. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the language that they would be using here <clears throat> is the same type of language that they used in describing sacrifice in the Old Testament, uh, in the Old Covenant on the altar. In the Old Covenant and the New, the sacrifices would be laid upon the altar before God, but our offerings to God differs in that it is to be a living sacrifice. Life would not cease to exist as a result of the sacrifice, but it would actually increase and then we have the opportunity then to use our energies and all of our faculties to do the will of God and to walk ever more intimately with Him in His Spirit. At the time, 
this would have been totally contrary to the ideas of, that that culture had in their understanding of a sacrifice. You know, they would they would go get uh, all of the things that they needed, and they would come to the priest, and they would uh, make their sacrifice, and that's how they would atone for uh, their sins. But then Christ comes preaching a new gospel that we would daily get up before Him and lay ourselves on the altar before Him. And then when we get up in the morning, our motivation is the mercy of God, and I lay myself down, asking God that He would do whatever He would within us. But understanding then, in presenting our fullness to God, that that requires careful thought. And what I mean by that is that I'm going to be honest with you about where what I have seen in the last couple of years in the church. I have seen in the last couple of years of the church, I have heard countless people talk about what they are getting or not getting in worship. I mean countless people. Well, this is how I felt today. I didn't really like this today. I'm not really getting this from this church. Or if I go to this church, I'll get this. That is the last thing that worship is about. Understand that? That worship is about what we offer God. What we receive is secondary. Worship is about what we offer And to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice requires thought. Now in the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament truths have spiritual meaning. They were a physical picture of spiritual things to come. Uh, And there are countless examples that I'm sure we will get into eventually, uh, God willing, that uh, we can look through those things. But uh, just just one that I want to look through uh, quickly um, actually, we're going to go to uh, we're going to go to Revelation chapter five, and then we'll go back and look at that in context of the Old Testament. Revelation chapter five, uh, verses six through eight. It says, "Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders." The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So uh, it says that before the throne of God, the elders were before him, and they fell down in worship. And it says each one had a harp, and that would in some way signify praise in the temple worship, right? That's, that was one of the primary instruments that was used in temple worship. So that would uh, signify the praise of God's people. They fell before him. Basically what it's saying is they fell before him with praise. But the other thing that's so amazing about that is it says they fell before him with, uh, each one had a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now that is such a crazy thing to think that in the throne room of God he has golden bowls of incense which are the prayers of his people. That the prayers of his people would be that significant. Another aspect of worship, praying, coming before God and pray. Because we're saying in that moment when I come before God in prayer that I believe that you are able and I am not. I believe you are the one who can do all things and I can't. 
That's what we're saying in prayer. But they come before him, and they have these golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So I was looking into that, and you go back to Exodus chapter 30, and it's talking about in the Old Testament, and under the Old Covenant, they had the... Uh, uh, at that at that time in Exodus, it was the tent of meeting where God or Moses would go to to meet with God. That's where they would perform their sacrifices and all those things. And so you would go in and uh, you would get inside the tent, uh, and there was the table and in the candles and and directly before the most holy place, uh, there was the curtain uh, separating the most holy place where God dwelled. And directly before that was the altar of incense. So you see in the New Testament, in Revelation, they're, they're before him. He's relating the prayers of the saints to incense. And if you go to that Old Testament, the incense was directly before God where he dwelt. Now, what I want to look at is in chapter 30, starting in verse 34 in Exodus. <clears throat> it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum resin, uh, onica, and galbanum, uh, in pure frankincense, all in equal amounts, and make fragrant, a fragrant blend of incense, the work of a perfumer. It is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it into powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, of the Covenant Law in the Tent of Meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. Do not make any incense with this formula for yourselves. Consider it holy to the Lord. Whoever makes incense like it, uh, like it to enjoy its fragrance, must be cut off from the people. So. Again, we have gold bowls of incense in the throne room of God. We have in the Old Covenant, we have directly before him, we have the altar of incense, and he's talking about the composition of the incense. That's what's so significant here. What's significant about that is God had a specific way that he wanted the incense to be made. God said, you make it this way, and don't take any of it for yourself. This is how I want the incense to be formed. Right? Now, I'm not trying to tell you that you have a list of ways that you have to worship in order for, for you to worship God. It is not a legalistic thing uh, coming into the presence of God. There, there are certain ways, biblically, that we need to approach Him that someday we will we'll talk through those. We don't have time to do that tonight. I just want you to understand, I'm in no way trying to say that this is a legalistic thing. I'm simply saying that it required thought for them to put together the incense that was to be offered before God. And what I'm saying is a lot of times when we come to a worship gathering, there's not a whole lot of thought that goes into what we are going to offer. Right? A lot of times we roll out of bed at the last minute. We were doing something else the night before, not really thinking about what was happening, a lot of times we're, we're thinking about what time are we going to get out of here and what I need to do the rest of the day. When they made the incense that was to be laid before God, it required their thought. And what I'm saying to you is when we lay ourselves before God as a sacrifice, we need to be conscious of what we are offering. We need to be conscious in searching ourselves to determine what is it within me that I can lay before God today? What is it that God would ask of me? How can I prepare myself? When, when somebody tells me now that I didn't get anything out of worship today, my first question is, well, how, did you prepare yourself? 
How did you prepare yourself for worship today? Because a lot of people come in, as I said, not ever thinking one bit about worship, and they'll sit down and be a consumer trying to get something out of it, and they'll leave disappointed because they didn't feel something. Number one, God isn't just about feeling. We worship God whether we feel something or not. But it is of the utmost importance that we have a a fear, respect, and an, an awe of God in an anticipation of being in His presence. I believe truly that to be a worshiping community, it takes us consciously thinking, uh, I have the opportunity uh, today or tomorrow, whatever it is, to go be in the presence of brothers and sisters that have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. They've been washed by His blood. We are united in a way that transcends any human relationship. We have the opportunity to enter into His presence, the God that created all things. He sustains all things by His Word, by His knowledge. That is such an amazing thing and requires our thought. I'm just trying to say, before you get disappointed because you're not feeling something from the presence of God, you better stop and think about what kind of spiritual preparation is going on in the heart before we enter His presence. Uh, so the true worshiper finds his motivation in what he has received, the mercy of God, and then the true worshiper presents the fullness of himself to God. Uh, in the final point uh, is that the true worshiper preserves himself as a holy and blameless sacrifice. He says that we should present ourselves holy and acceptable to God. Um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is in uh, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 15. And uh, it's just where <clears throat> Lot had been carried away and Mo- uh, uh, Abraham had gone off to battle to, to bring Lot back from being carried off. And God had told him that he would uh, have a son that had not yet come to be. Uh, so Abraham was in a moment of, of feeling pretty pretty low, feeling pretty down. And uh, so God made a covenant with him in that moment. He, he They prepared sacrifices. God told Abraham to prepare a sacrifice. So he did. He went and got all the elements that he needed for, for that sacrifice. And he came and he set them down. Uh, and if you weren't thinking about it, you would miss this verse. But in, in verse 11, chapter 15, it says, Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. I understand that when we get up every day and we make a conscious effort to lay ourselves on the altar before God as a sacrifice, there are birds of prey that are going to swoop in and try to steal that sacrifice. There are things in this world that are going to come in and try to defile the sacrifice that you have laid before God. And it's simple. It says that Abraham got up and drove him away. Again, this requires our conscious thought about our spiritual life that we would understand every moment, understanding, number one, every day that uh, it shouldn't be a surprise to us when Satan attacks us, right? 
mean, the Bible says that he prowls around like a lion looking for somebody to devour. It should not be uh, something that is shocking to us. So every day, knowing that, uh, and every day determining ourselves that we would make it through the day preserving ourselves as a sacrifice. That we would make that, co- that commitment to God today that I'm going to make it through this day by your power. I'm going to be conscious of the things going on around me. I'm not going to be oblivious today. I'm not going to be passive in this today. But I have laid myself before you. I know there are going to be attacks. I know there are going to be opportunities for Satan to defile what I am offering you. But God, through your power, will you help me make it through today? And then you get up the next day and you do the same thing. Right? The, what, what happens here is that we, we think about uh, Christian things at certain moments and then we go a week without thinking about it again. Or sometimes we have to admit that we mindlessly read through a, a passage in a devotional. We never think through what it means to us. We never think through what does it mean for me today? How do we apply the truth that, that we are uh, taking in? What I'm saying is that, uh, well, let me say it this way, I guess. When uh, Moses was leading the Israelites uh, out of Egypt, there was a lot of complaining that was going on. They got out into the wilderness and they were walking and they felt like they didn't have enough food. So God provided the manna from heaven, right? And so Moses told them that I want you to take enough for today. Don't take any more. Take enough for today. That's what you're going to take. And some people didn't, right? And the next day, what happened? It was rotten. Now the point of that is that you cannot live on the Spirit's filling from three weeks ago or a month ago. God wants to give you something new today. He wants to give you something new tomorrow. He wants to give you something new than the day after that. His, the Bible says that His mercies are new every morning. It means every morning that you wake up, God has some sort of mercy that is available for you that wasn't the same yesterday. He has something new for us every day. What happens is there are churches that are dying today because 50 years ago God did something. And they're living off of that. I'm not telling you we shouldn't remember what God did. We absolutely should. There is a very great case to be made for that. In the Old Testament, they would set up uh, altars to remember what God had done. But they remember it and they move forward in what God has for them today. We remember what God has done. We testify to His goodness. But I don't want to miss what He has for me tomorrow because I'm trying to live out of what I stored up from a week ago. He has something new for you today. He has something new for you tomorrow. One of the one of my favorite things that I ever read was uh, an article called "Billy Joel Taught Me to Pray." And I would assume everybody here knows who Billy Joel is, so you wouldn't expect that. Uh, <clears throat> this was a guy writing the article, and. Uh, he said he was watching an interview with Billy Joel and they were asking him how he goes about writing songs. Uh, so he said that he gets up in the morning and he'll go to his piano and he'll just uh, kind of play for about an hour. He'll play through anything that's familiar to him. 
Uh, and then he said he'll go through a period of time where he plays scales and, and things like that. And if you're a musician, you understand that that is a ridiculously monotonous process. It is not fun playing scales. Uh, so then he said he'll go into a time where he just plays whatever comes to him. He said a lot of days he'll he'll go through that time, and it's not very exciting. And it was just kind of going through it. But he said that there are days where that turns into such an amazing time of music coming out of him that he didn't even know was there. And then Billy Joel said, if I wasn't there, I would have missed it. And that is exactly how it is in our spiritual walk. Honestly, you, some of you have been Christians for a long, long time. And you know that every moment that you spend reading the Bible, you're not going to feel something amazing. Every time you pray, you're not going to feel something amazing. But you also know that God has blessings that are available for you that we will miss if we are not there. As I said, He has something for you today and tomorrow and the next day. And we will miss it if we are not there. That's all God is asking us of us. That we would offer ourselves before Him as a living sacrifice motivated by the mercy that we have received and preserving ourselves every day as a sacrifice. And we would step into His presence knowing that He has something for us today. And I don't want to miss what that is. And finally, it says, offer yourself as a, as a sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing. And... Uh, this is your true and proper worship. Some, I think it's the King James Version, but it says this is your reasonable service. And it's amazing to me to consider that offering myself before God on the altar every day is reasonable. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable thing to do to offer myself before God because He has saved me. What else do I need? It's reasonable. Me offering everything that I have, my talents, my energies, my affections, everything I have, laying that before Him is reasonable because what He has done for me. It is reasonable to offer all that we have Second Kings, uh, <clears throat> David had taken a census and he was not supposed to do that. So uh, God had sent, uh, I think it was a plague on them. And so he was going to, to make a sacrifice to God to atone for what he had done. So he goes to the place to get all of the things that he needed for the sacrifice and uh, the guy that owns the place comes to him and he says, well, you're the king. Take whatever you want. You can have it. And David's words are so amazing. It should be the picture of what it means to be a true worshiper. He said, I will not offer to God anything that costs me nothing. I won't offer a God anything that costs me nothing. And what all of this boils down to, being motivated by mercy, preserving ourselves as a sacrifice, is it all comes down to... Uh, 
my thoughtful consideration of what I am offering to God? And am I offering Him something that is truly a sacrifice? Because if we're all honest, there's times we have got up before God and laid Him something on the altar that wasn't we didn't really think about it. Didn't really require a whole lot of thought. Or we gave Him whatever was left over. Right? It is reasonable that we would offer God something that cost me something. That's why we talk about things like if somebody says something offensive to you and you don't respond in anger because that cost me something. That cost uh, me withholding my pride and allowing that uh, the pride to die in myself that I might honor my king. That's costly, right? Because a lot of times we want to respond. It's hard. We offer God things that are truly a sacrifice. And finally, I'll end with this. In Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 9, it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, <clears throat> to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So what we understand from this is that in the throne room of God, then, the people of God would be in His presence. And the crowns would symbolize all, all that they had uh, or a place of honor. They would symbolize a, 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 an honor uh, so they would be in God's presence and overwhelmed by His glory to the point where they would take off the crown that they have and throw it before Him. Recognizing that all of my accomplishments, all of my talents, all of my abilities, everything that I have is not enough to thank Him. But whatever I do have, I am willing to lay it before Him. That's the question for the church tonight. The church is a worshiping community. Is, are we willing to offer God something that truly costs us? Are we willing to preserve ourselves every day from the birds that would come down, the, the birds of prey that would come down and try to defile our sacrifice? whether that's at work or at home, whatever it is, are we willing to do whatever it takes to preserve ourselves as a sacrifice? Because it is reasonable that we would offer God something that is costly. God, we thank You tonight again for the opportunity to worship You. Father, for what it means to be in Your presence, to be Your people. Father, we, we love You tonight and thank You for the opportunity that we have to be worshipers, to worship You in spirit and truth. Father, for the mercy that we have received, Father, we pray that You would empower us through Your Spirit to be motivated by that mercy in all things. Everything that we say and do, Father, would be an opportunity to honor You, 